This is Tending Seeds, a podcast about my adventures in homesteading and herbalism. I'm Sarah Schuster, and I'll be your host. Thanks for being here today. Hey friends, I hope this finds you well. This is going to be a really short introduction today because our episode is a bit longer than normal, so I don't want to delay just jumping on into it. The topic today, uh, this is actually the audio from a class I taught just a few weeks ago for the Portsmouth Library. The topic was how to grow different herbs with the idea that you were going to turn them into herbal tea at the end. We also, after going through a wide number of herbs that you can grow in your garden, we also discuss a little bit about how to dry and preserve those herbs. And then we jump into how to formulate and blend up your teas. And then I close with a few of the ways that I like to enjoy my loose leaf tea. You will hear me reference in the video a handout. You can still get that handout. I will put a link in the episode description, but you can also just go directly to our website, foxandelder.com, and click on classes, and you will see it up there. Um, It's in all caps that there is a handout there that you can download for yourself if you are interested. All right, uh, without further ado, here is the episode. Hope you enjoy. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to the Portsmouth Library for having me here tonight and to our intrepid moderators. We will be doing a Q&A at the end. Um, so if you have questions throughout, you can feel free to add your questions to the chat box. My general format is I'm going to go ahead and talk about some herbs that are simple to grow and make delicious teas with. We're going to talk a little bit about drying and processing those herbs. And then we'll get into Uh, how I go about formulating an herbal tea blend that hopefully will be beneficial as well as tasty and enjoyable to drink. And then also a few tips on how I like to prepare my tea. And then we'll jump into that Q&A. Quick disclaimer, uh, I am not a doctor. So we are going to talk about some traditional medicinal uses of various herbs and plants. They, they can have an impact on our bodies in really specific ways. If you drank coffee this morning, then you're aware of how plants can impact your energy, amongst other things. So uh, this is just my disclaimer that you do want to discuss with your doctor or your healthcare practitioner before you start incorporating new herbs into your lifestyle, especially if you are pregnant, nursing, uh, or taking any medications, because there can be interactions between herbs and medication. I say that not to scare you, but instead to empower you to do your own research, get out there. There's so much to learn. I love talking about plants with folks. So again, meant to empower you, not to scare you. So I want to start with one of my favorite herbs to turn new herb growers onto, and that would be calendula. It's an incredibly uh, vibrant flower. I love it so much. I'm going to get it a little bit closer here. You can see this amazing, beautiful color. It's a very versatile herb. It's got so many different applications. I find it to be really tasty, and it's also really simple to grow. It's very easy to start from seed. I've had excellent germination rates with that, as well as, you know, new gardeners and farmers. So I think this is a great one to start with. And also it pays off really quickly for you as well. So you can go from seed to harvesting your flowers in easily in 55 to 60 days, which a lot of our herbs, that is not always the case for. So even right now for you folks up in New England or colder climes, it's not too late in the year for you to plant calendula and still get blooms before you get that first frost. So that's why I wanted to start with this herb. With the flowers or the florets, these are actually edible. So when you get your blooms, you can pull the individual florets off and you can garnish like your salad with them. They're really tasty. You can add those to soups. Traditionally though, the bulk of the medicinal property is actually on the underside. Let's see if we can get a little bit closer. So that's why when you go and start harvesting them after you're done, your fingers will actually be sticky from that sort of resinous substance on the underside uh, of the flowers there. Calendula is really great for your uh, lymphatic system. So moving stagnant fluid, getting that lymph moving. It's also great for your digestive system. So I put this into teas for um, indigestion. Uh, When I do consults with clients, who are maybe dealing with something uh, like leaky gut. This is a really gentle herb 
to start working with for that. It's also an incredible vulnerable herb, meaning like a wound healing herb. It's very calming and soothing. So I love to make infused herbal oils. And this calendula is a go-to. Any herbalist you talk to that is making infused oils and salves, calendula is like the one you always start with. So it's just a really lovely herb. It's easy to get to get going. So if you're new to growing herbs, uh, if, if there's only one plant you decide to start working with after tonight... I would say start with this one. That's why I started with it for our notes here. Speaking of notes, there is a handout. It's for later on when we start formulating, but I'll go ahead and drop that in the chat now uh, so that you can get a hold of that. The next herb I want to talk about is one that we're probably all pretty familiar with, and that would be chamomile. So we've probably all had a cup of chamomile tea at some point in our lives, uh, maybe by itself or maybe as part of uh, a nighttime blend. Uh, sleepy time tea. I think <laughs> I think almost everyone I know has had that at some point. And um, so this is, it's not a sedative herb. So we put it into blends to help us wind down and sleep, but it's not sedating. It's, it's not making you go to sleep. It's helping you relax your body enough that sleep can then actually come and sneak up on you, hopefully. It's also really great for digestion. It's very kid-friendly. Uh, some folks don't like the flavor. Um, uh, most people, I think, do. But if you don't like the flavor, it can combine with other things really well. Uh, chamomile and ginger is a lovely combination. Uh, chamomile and catnip, which also we'll talk about in just a few minutes, is a great one if you're trying to wind down for sleep as well. And then next, we're going to hop over to another relaxant herb. So this would be lavender. So we're all probably pretty familiar with the scent of lavender. Also nice and calming. It's also antimicrobial. This is a little bit harder to grow from seed. So I would recommend if you're new to gardening, I would recommend getting seedlings uh, or plant starts for that from like a local grower or nursery. Um, but it also it has a lovely flavor and a little bit goes a long way. So when we talk about formulating teas in a little while, um, that's not one that I use a huge amount of in a tea. It's more of a delicate kind of ending flavorant for, for a tea. Also going to talk about holy basil, um, otherwise called Tulsi. And so this is related to culinary basil, but different. It's a little bit spicier in flavor. The leaves are generally smaller. If you're used to culinary basil, if you've ever grown that, um, it's a sweet basil. The flowers are white. Uh, with holy basil, your flowers are normally going to be a really lovely purple. This one's also very simple and easy to get started from seed if you're new to growing. Um, so this might be a great one uh, to start working with as well. And you'll find that, again, if you've ever grown basil, you've probably heard the suggestion that as that plant grows, you're going to pinch the tops off of that plant. And that encourages the plant, instead of just growing a few strands straight up and being, ends up kind of looking a little scraggly as the season go, goes on and kind of, kind of falls over a little bit. If instead, when the plant is small, if you pinch off the top buds as it starts to grow and encourages that plant to kind of bush out and it'll fill out and become a lot fuller and have a lot more growth on it. So Tulsi is a great one to do that. Um, actually, when I've started that from seed indoors <laughs> growing, sometimes I'm having to pinch the tops because it starts to flower even when it's only this high. Um, so it really just goes uh, into flower very quickly. Holy basil, Tulsi, it's also, it's in the mint family. And it's antibacterial, antiviral, like so many things in the mint family that have those volatile oils that make them really lovely and fragrant. It's also a mood lifter. It's an adaptogen, which we're not going to dive too deeply into herbal actions here tonight, but adaptogens are a class of herbs that help our bodies physically as well as emotionally to regulate stress. Uh, so I don't know about y'all, but... That's something I could definitely use a lot of this year with just this the way 2020 has gone. So this is a really easy to grow plant. So calendula, Tulsi, those are two great starting points if you don't have a lot of room. Tulsi does really well in container gardening also. So if you are growing just on like a patio or a, or a deck, this can be a great one to get started with. 
Going a little bit larger, not really suitable for container gardening, I'd like to talk about elderflower and elderberry. So this is one plant that produces the flowers, and then if you don't harvest those, they will eventually turn into berries. Um, if you've heard of elderberry syrup, it's very popular for the past few years as an immune support. The flowers are one of my favorite flavors on the planet. Uh, my business is called Fox and Elder because I just love elder so much. It's an incredible flavor. If you've ever had St. Germain, which is an elderflower liqueur, um, there are elderflower lemonades out there. And I just also just love it just as a tea. So as much as I love making herbal tea blends, elderflower is one that I often will just make a cup just of a single herb and, and drink that. Elderflower also will lift your mood. Both the flowers and the berries are antiviral. A note on the berries, if you grow this, um, the berries need to either be cooked or dried. That's why we cook them to make a syrup. Um, otherwise, they can cause some gastrointestinal upset and you might not have the nicest time if you have too many of those. So <laughs> um, just a note on that. Also, if you live in an area where you have deer, they especially love young elder plants. So you will want some sort of small fencing around that for the first few years if you do decide to grow that. If you're just looking to make enough tea for yourself and your family, you can probably just have one elder bush on your property and that will most likely be plenty for what you're wanting for a given uh, year's harvest. Moving on to peppermint, so easy to grow again. So this is one I would definitely recommend. This can grow really well in containers. And in fact, some people really recommend that you stay with containers because mint is very spready, uh, as you saw mentioned in the video, is if you think you have a little bit of mint, by next year you will have a lot of mint. So be careful where you place that, unless you have plenty of room or you really, really love mint because you will have quite a bit of it. The nice thing about that, though, is it's very easy to transplant. So you can dig up chunks and sections of that, and it will transplant really easily if you want to either give plants to a friend or... If you're getting started gardening this year and you have a friend who is growing mint already, it's really simple for you to say, hi, can I come dig up a little bit of your plant to take with me? And it's going to translate uh, transplant super well. I see someone in chat talking about mint keeping black flies away. And yes, so a lot of these uh, plants in the mint family, because of those volatile oils, they can do a really great job of deterring certain uh, insects and pests uh, for us, which is really handy as well. Peppermint, spearmint, there are also lots of different varieties of mint. Um, I really enjoy chocolate mint uh, in my tea blends as well. So I grow on the farm here, I grow both peppermint and chocolate mint just for a little bit of variety. And these are carminatives, meaning they help relieve gas, pressure, bloating in the stomach. So if you've ever kind of overdone it for a meal, you might reach for a blend of like chamomile and maybe some peppermint and some ginger to calm your stomach down and also still have a nice cup of tea. Tastes a lot better than, you know, Pepto-Bismol. The next one I'd like to talk about is one you may have already encountered out in the wild, uh, and that would be stinging nettles and <laughs> emphasis there on the word stinging. So to deactivate the sting, you're going to want to either dry or cook your stinging nettles. And this is a really tasty plant. It's considered a nutritive plant. And we also sometimes refer to it as a food herb because you can eat it. I love to put nettles into uh, soups and stews, or I will just saute them with like onions and garlic. Um, nettles, you know, come out fairly early into the spring. Um, they tend to start going to seed once we get towards summer. Like mint, if you plant a nettle patch, uh, be very particular about where you put it because it's going to be hard to get rid of and it will reseed itself like very easily. It's a perennial. It's going to come back year after year. The nice thing about that then is you only need a few plants to start with, you know, one or two, and then they will multiply very rapidly for you. So you don't need to go buy, you know, six or a dozen of something uh, to get your garden area started. So yeah, so nettle, so full of nutrients, really great mineral content. And especially like, like I said, these come up at the start of spring. So if you think about a traditional 
you know, year of a cycle of coming out of winter back in an era where we didn't have the option to go to the grocery store, we would have come out of winter uh, being really excited and, and really looking forward to eating some young, you know, tender greens. And so nettles would definitely be a great answer for us. So they're packed with minerals and tea is a great way to extract mineral content from plant material. This is also one of the only herbs that I really endorse using in a capsule form. Staying nettle has a really great affinity for helping with seasonal allergies. And um, this has been, scientific studies have been done on this, on the efficacy of this. Freeze-dried nettle capsules have have been shown to be really effective for a lot of folks who have seasonal allergies. One of those things I tell loads of my friends about who suffer from that, especially here in Tennessee, and a month later, I, I get like a text saying, oh, this changed my life. So I don't like to take capsules if I can help it. I would rather uh, just be eating that nettle and making tea with it on a regular basis. Um, but I drink about a quart of herbal tea a day anyway. So that's not a big deal for me if you don't have time for that. Freeze-dried nettle capsules can be a really great solution for you. Another plant that I want to talk about is anise hyssop, uh, sometimes called lavender hyssop. And this does smell and taste a bit like licorice, uh, which can be a pretty polarizing flavor. So people tend to either love that or hate it. This is also a perennial herb, so it will come back for you uh, year after year. And you can divide this by uh, root cuttings. So I tend to harvest, uh, you can use the aerial parts, meaning anything that's above ground can be utilized for tea. So I'll just go through and give a quick little haircut once that plant starts to flower. So I'm pulling off and cutting off uh, leaves as well as the purple flowering tops as well. And both the leaves and the flowers can be used as part of your tea. So again, (laughs) that licorice flavor can be very divisive. So if you know you don't like licorice, this is not a plant I would bother to put into your garden then um, because it's not going to be of benefit to you. A lot of herbalists say herbs only work if if we remember to take them. And so if you already know you're not going to like the flavor of something, then save that garden space for something that delights you and that you're going to look forward to working with instead. But anise hip, hyssop is an expectorant. It's an antibacterial. So an expectorant meaning helping if you're having like a productive cough with like mucus in the chest, an expectorant helping you to get that moving, get that out of your body. So anise hyssop, I don't love licorice, but I can stand some of it. And so I will use this as a small part of like a tea blend for myself during cold and flu season, especially if I feel like I'm starting to come down with something, uh, maybe like some sinus drip, nasal drip, things like that. Another herb would be oat straw. And this is another really uh, nutritive herb that I rely on pretty heavily. It's great in tea blends because it doesn't have a very overwhelming flavor. It's pretty mild. Um, it ha- it's slightly sweet in, in flavor as well. Not like sugary like a soda, but just a mild sweetness to it. And so this can be really useful when you're trying to balance a tea blend. If maybe you have something that you really want to incorporate into a blend that maybe has a slightly bitter flavor, um, you could reach for oat straw to perhaps balance that out for you. Oat straw is really high in iron, calcium, silica, magnesium. It's also slightly relaxant. So this is another one that I put into my blends. It's not sedative. So again, it's not, I don't worry about like drinking this and then having to drive to work, but it is a a calming, slight relaxant. So if I know I'm having a week that feels like pretty stressful, oat straw is going to be a friend that I reach for throughout the week. But, and it also is helpful at night if I'm, if I'm really keyed up for my day and needing some help just to like calm my mind and and slow my mind down a bit. Another herb that's really beautiful would be hibiscus. And so these have, um, these are actually you're harvesting the calyx of the flower to dry this. And, but it's a really beautiful, dark crimson. It's just a beautiful, vibrant color. And I love incorporating this into my teas, both for the flavor as well as the colorant effect of it. It's a cooling herb, so it's a, it's slightly sour. So it's great for this time of year when I'm preferring to drink a lot of my teas uh, iced. So I'll often steep my tea the night before, let it sit, and then drink it iced the next day. So hibiscus is figuring into almost all of my blends right now. And it's really just delicious. That red color is a good clue that it's going to be really high in antioxidants as well. 
And there have been scientific studies showing that hibiscus in certain situations can help lower cholesterol and blood pressure. So going back to kind of our warning from earlier then, so if you're already taking medication for cholesterol and blood pressure to lower that, you would want to be really careful, confer with your health practitioners about that, because you don't want to lower something too quickly, too rapidly, um, if you're already dealing with a pharmaceutical that's doing that for you. Someone mentioned in the chat, it pairs well with lime, definitely. And someone else asked, do you hang the whole hibiscus flower to dry? I normally harvest just the calyx, and usually the flower has kind of died back. And I'm just getting the calyx, the, the, the red sepals off of the flower, and that's when I'm drying. And then once that's dry, it's pretty easy to break apart. Or I've even sometimes thrown it through like a food processor to get it into smaller pieces, um, more suitable for, you know, making individual cups of tea. Another favorite plant would be lemon balm. Again, <laughs> just like with uh, things like nettle and peppermint, this is a plant that can be very spready and it will definitely take up as much room as you want to give it in your garden, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing because it's absolutely delicious, especially this time of year. It pairs really well. The lemon balm pairs really well with hibiscus and also I love to pair it with rose or sometimes all three. So it's a very cooling, refreshing herb to work with, especially this time of year in the middle of summer. And easy to just take and give like a haircut. So just going out with a pair of kitchen scissors and cutting back, you know, the top, you know, four or five inches of your plant and leaving about four or five inches, you know, below. And then I usually can get anywhere between three and five harvests in a growing season from the same set of plants. Like I said, it is a perennial, so it will come back year after year. It will spread. It's not quite as spready as mint. It's more uh, opportunistic. If you have other plants near it, it's not going to push those other plants out necessarily. But if it has open room around it, it will feel free to go ahead and just like sprawl out and take up as much room as it possibly can. And like I said, I think that's kind of okay because I love it. I go through a lot of lemon balm in our house. Uh, it can also be propagated uh, by root division. So in the early spring, as that plant starts to come up, you can gently, you know, take it out, separate some of the, the roots, replant it, you know, space it out or give some to a friend to share or maybe a friend has some to share with you. Lemon balm is really calming, but also uplifting. I feel it's invigorating, but not in like a, a hyper sort of way. So it's it's just a really nice uplifting herb, especially this time of year. And it can also be really great for upset stomachs. It's super kid friendly. Kids love the flavor of it. And it pairs, it's so easy to pair, you know, with other flavors as well. Like I said, rose and lemon balm is a really classic combination that I would really suggest you try. I don't always even dry my herbs for tea. Sometimes I just go wander around the garden with a mug and my scissors and just decide, you know, oh, I want a little bit of this today and a little bit of that. And that's a really great way to start coming up and coming up with and trying different flavor combinations uh, yourself as well as you go through that. Another one, I saw this on the library video that was shown, was bee balm or wild bergamot. This is also in the mint family. And it smells similar to oregano. So it's got a little bit of like a spiciness to it. The flowers are really gorgeous, uh, really prolific. That season is just coming to an end for us here in Tennessee, but those purple and red flowers, depending on the variety you have, they're just really lovely. It's a great smell. Like I said, I will sometimes actually add some of the leaves. Um, this can also be a food herb. So I'll mix uh, in with my sweet basil. If I'm going to make a pesto, I'll sometimes add some bee balm leaves as well, just to kind of give a little more of a zing or a kick to my pesto. And this is a really lovely plant. It's a perennial, so it will come back year after year. It's a really nice border plant, so it gets pretty tall. It can easily get to about three or four feet tall. So it gives a nice variety too, if you're kind of planning your garden and trying to scale different heights for variety. So this is a really nice one to play with. I have grown this in containers. Uh, someone asked that in the chat. It can take up a bit of room though. So in a container, you're probably only gonna get about two or three plants. I do like to give it room to spread out some if at all possible, but it can, it can do well in containers if that's your only option. 
it's antibacterial. Uh, it is also an expectorant, so dealing with helping move mucus like out of the chest. So again, this is another one that I love for cold and flu season. We talked about anise hyssop in the same regard. So if you're not into the licorice, um, this is one you could work with instead if that's more your speed. I do also want to talk about catnip, which is another one uh, we mentioned earlier. It's very kid-friendly, nice and relaxant. It's really easy to grow, good for upset stomachs, good for winding down to sleep. This is such a versatile herb. You know, there are so many different herbs out there, but if you're pressed for space, no herb does just one thing. And so I really encourage you to kind of figure out you know, what are the ailments that you and the folks that you live with maybe deal with in a normal year? And you'll find a lot of herbs that have overlap with, with different things. So you can have a small garden area or a container garden and really get a lot of diversity and variety in there to really cover a lot of like common household ailments for yourself, as well as being able to make some really delicious teas that you're going to enjoy taking as opposed to, you know, I don't feel well and I have to like choke this down. That's not what we're going for here. We still want this to be enjoyable and tasty. So, and then the last one I want to talk about, I know we've kind of done just like a whirlwind tour, would be red clover. So these have just like lovely blooms. And so there are lots of different types of clover. This one's called red clover, but it's actually like a pinkish purple in flower color. There is a crimson clover. There's also white clover you've probably found in your lawns. Um, there's also a yellow clover. Generally, um, some of those do have some medicinal uses, but generally when we talk about using a clover herbally, we're talking about red clover, this particular kind. This one's also easy to grow. It's probably growing near or around you. I believe I saw that in the video, even though it's not native to New Hampshire, but it, it is up there growing near, near y'all. It's often used as a cover crop. So a lot of farmers use different types of clovers as a cover crop. And my feeling is we talk in permaculture about function stacking, letting one thing serve multiple purposes. So I like to, if I'm going to plant a cover crop, why not also have it be a crop that I can harvest that has, you know, herbal benefit for me to be able to get, you know, multiple uses from. So red clover is one of my favorite cover crops to grow. It really helps with moving the lymphatic system. So stagnation, getting things flowing. And this can also lead to clearer skin because a lot of times skin conditions, whether that's, you know, acne to psoriasis or eczema, a lot of times that's tied to stagnant fluids, things not moving through and leaving the body quickly enough. enough. So that red clover is really helpful for our lymphatic system. And yes, someone pointed out it is a nitrogen fixing cover crop. Yes. So it's really wonderful. That's part of why, you know, it's a two for one for us here on the farm to use as a cover crop because it's an additional crop for us to be able to harvest and make medicine with, but it's also helping the fertility of our soil with our regenerative agriculture practices. And then we're, there have also been quite a few studies showing that red clover can be beneficial for anyone going through menopause, dealing with various symptoms from that, such as hot flashes being one in particular that this can be helpful with. Okay, so that was kind of a whirlwind of herbs. Believe it or not, I cut this list in half before we started because I would just talk all day about plants. I really would. But we're going to jump into preserving the harvest. So, oh, someone asked, can we talk about passion flower? Yes. So that is another one that's actually our state wildflower here in Tennessee. So Passiflora incarnata, a really cool looking alien flower. If you've never seen passion flower, like definitely Google that when you get a second. It's a really just kind of like alien outer space kind of flower. I love it. Passion flower, both the flower and the leaf can be used. So yeah, passion flower is another one. It's very uh, relaxant. It's super helpful for sleep, particularly if you are the type of person who gets into bed at night and then you find yourself staring at the ceiling, just having these incredible like circular thoughts that just will not stop for you. Passion flower is especially great for that. Word of caution, it can have interactions with sleep medications though. So definitely be aware of that. If you are taking medication for sleep, you're going to want to check with your 
doctor or healthcare practitioner before working with passion flower. If you are taking sleep medication, I would not look towards passion flower necessarily. I would look more towards something um, that's not sedative, but instead is gentle and calming, such as like maybe oat straw to relax before uh, getting into bed at night. And then also when I do consultations with folks, we're not just talking about plants. We're also talking about lifestyle. And so we would also be talking about sleep hygiene and like what your best practices are of, you know, things like screen time and things like that and having a good routine. Okay. So moving on to preserving the harvest. So we did talk as we went through the different herbs a little bit about like pinching the tops or doing the haircut method to harvest. When it comes to drying your herbs to be able to store them to make tea, there are a few different methods. So a really common method would be to bundle your herbs together, the the stalks, and then hang them to dry. I used to live in Florida. This would not be an option for me there uh, because our humidity is so high. And so something, you know, a, a plant would mold before it would dry out in Florida for me. Here in Tennessee, I can kind of have mixed results. I do often run a dehumidifier near my drying racks uh, in order to make sure that doesn't happen. A lot of this is going to depend on what equipment you have available to you and also what your climate is like. And that will change throughout the year as well. So we have, you know, as we head into winter or even coming into early spring when I'm processing things, I don't have to worry about humidity as much. Right now, August and September are definitely much more of a concern. And so I'm really not going to be hanging things to dry at this time of year. It's too risky and I can't afford to let to let our herbs get, you know, moldy and have to throw out a whole batch. So you can also, like I mentioned, drying racks, uh, which do allow you to spread your material out a lot more, coming through, turning those each day, being able to really look at those and check those much closer than if you have things kind of bundled together. So I've had, you know, really no problems with things molding. If you're talking about leaves and flowers, if you're, you know, we're not really talking about, you know, roots so much, but those you would want to make sure you're like chopping up really finely before you start to dry them. My preferred method is to use a dehydrator because I can have a lot more control over that. So when I'm drying herbs, there's a fine line between I don't want to hit my plant material with so much heat that I'm just blasting all of the good constituents and volatile oils out of my plant material. And I'm just left with like crumbly, crumbly stuff that you can hardly tell what it used to be. But I also don't want to dry things so slowly that I'm giving them a chance to mold. So I have some nice dehydrators. I tend to to dry my flowers and uh, leaf material at between 95 and 100 degrees. That's maybe more cautious than some other folks would be. Some folks dry at like a much higher temperature, 120, 130, or even higher. I like to go low and slow. It does take a longer time, but I feel the quality of the herbs that I get from that uh, is a lot higher. I retain a lot more of the oils. I retain a lot more of the colors uh, in the flowers. And if you're going through all the trouble to grow these beautiful herbs for yourself and your family, you know, (laughs) don't rush it on the home stretch. So take your time. uh, Keep an eye on things. You know, I'm there's, you know, this time of year, there are always dehydrators, you know, running with things coming out of the garden. You know, I'm harvesting multiple times a day as, you know, especially things like calendula, harvesting flowers and leaves and just rotating things in and out of the dryer. I've also found when I dehydrate, I often will spread things out on screens on my dehydrating trays and leave them for between 12 and 24 hours to sort of allow them, I call it a pre-wilt before I put them in the dehydrator, especially with plants like uh, lemon balm and sometimes uh, holy basil. Too much heat, even at that low 95 degrees, too much heat too soon when there's still a high moisture amount in the plants. I've sometimes had issues with the leaves oxidizing and they turn this funky black color, which is... I can still use for myself personally, but I wouldn't feel good, you know, putting that into a product to send to a client or customer. So yeah, so especially with those particular plants, doing like a 12 to 24 hour pre-wilt before I put things into the dehydrator is really good. Things to check for. What you're looking for is when things come out of the dehydrator, I'm going to put this right up to the mic, so hopefully we can hear it. When you go to bend a piece of plant material in half, it shouldn't actually bend. It should break. You can hear that that crunch. If it just bends and doesn't actually crack in your fingers, that's because there's still pliancy. There's still too much moisture in your plant material. It means it's not done yet. 
if you just put that into a container and seal it up, you're going to come back in a week or two and you're going to be very sad because it will be moldy and you'll have to throw all of that batch away. Someone asked about harvesting calendula. Do you harvest when fully open or slightly past fully open? I wait until they're fully open to harvest. And you can kind of just go on feel or instinct because once you do... (laughs) It's funny with calendula, you'll look at your plants and you've just got maybe two flowers and you pick those two flowers and you come back the next day and there are four flowers. And then three days later, there are like 15 flowers and I just, you don't know where they're coming from. So I let them go ahead and get open. If you let them stay too long, calendula, you know, will set seed very quickly. So if you don't harvest flowers for a few days, the flower start, you know, the plant thinks, I made it, I was able to reproduce, and now I don't need to make more flowers. So you want to make sure you're continually harvesting. And that goes for all of your herbs, but calendula in particular is one that will set seed very quickly on you. We're going to head into, now that we have grown these amazing herbs, we have dried and processed them, now we want to start making our own tea blends. And so this is the link that I posted in the chat to the handout that you can download from uh, my website if you want to have to keep. And we'll go through and discuss this as well. Making your own tea blends can sound a little scary and intimidating, but I assure you it is not. It's kind of fun kitchen mad scientist trial and error. And it's completely up to you where you go with this. And that's what's so amazing is that you can make all these teas for a variety of occasions and reasons. And then when you decide that you want to make a cup of tea for yourself, you go to your little tea cupboard or shelf and you've got this amazing variety to choose from. And you already know that you like all of them because they're ones you made for yourself. And also like, it's a pretty great little flex when you have people over. It's pretty fun to say, you know, what kind of tea do you want? And you have this like, great shelf. And they're like, oh, where did you get this? And you're like, I grew, I grew it and I made it all. So something to look forward to. And you know, then there are holiday presents and yeah, so lots of places you can go with this. So the two main things we're going to talk about for making your own tea blend. The first thing is you want to do is to decide the purpose of your tea. And that's going to let you figure out what the base herbs for your tea will be. And then from there, you're going to go ahead and add other herbs and ingredients to go ahead and round out your tea. And this is where you're focusing on balancing flavor to make sure it's really delicious and something you're gonna enjoy drinking. So when we talk about the purpose of a tea, this could be anything from what type of day, what time of day do you want to drink this to what are some of the benefits you hope to receive? So maybe you're looking for a tea to energize you in the morning on your way into work, or you're looking for a tea to help you focus or a tea to wind down at the end of the day and transition, you know, towards sleep. Or maybe you're looking for, you know, a hot, (laughs) a cooling tea for a hot summer day, or you're looking, you know, a few months from now for something more warming for a cold day. So we have lots of different ways that we can go with this. I've given you all some examples on the handout of, you know, some of the common herbs that I would turn to for various, you know, situations and possibilities. After that, then we get to, you know, so that's given you a few herbs to start, you know, basing your tea around. Then we start looking at, okay, well, how are these going to taste? And you could go ahead and make up a small amount of those herbs and and make a little cup of tea. And I often will do that. So if I figure out like, okay, I want to do as my base, you know, a tea for sleeping and relaxing after I'm done with my work for the day. I'm going to do oat straw and, you know, chamomile and maybe passion flower as my base. Okay, so I might take a little bit of that, make a cup, blend it up and kind of decide, okay, well, how does that taste? Do I like this? Do I not like it? Some herbs are wonderful for us, but can be very bitter in flavor. Those weren't really the ones that we covered tonight, but there are some out there that maybe aren't the best or like, you know, the anise hyssop with the licorice flavor. If you really want the properties of that, that particular herb, but not so much the licorice flavor, then we need to figure out like, well, how are we going to work with that and balance it and, and round that flavor out? So a few suggestions. We talked about hibiscus. So lovely. A great, you know, cooling kind of sour note. Rose petals. 
really a delicate flavor. You don't need a lot. This goes a long way. And like I said, I love rose and lemon balm. It's just an amazing combination. So if you have those two in your garden, I would definitely go for that. Lavender also a little bit goes a long way. It's got such a strong, you know, floral flavor to it. I also really, so for these more like warming blends, or especially if you're looking to help with digestion, dried ginger root and also cinnamon chips are both fantastic. And so if you think about those being kind of like some of the base note flavors for chai, which, which is a really like warming, wonderful blend of ingredients there as well. And so you can add a little bit of zing. Again, those are not things you're going to need like a lot of in your blend. I also love rosemary. It's gentle, it's warming. This is another one that I look to for boosting mood, but also focus and clarity for me. So in the afternoons, if I'm starting to get like a little draggy, like rosemary is definitely uh, an herbal ally that I like often will turn to uh, when I just need to like really just focus and kind of find my second wind for the day. And then also citrus. So dried citrus peels. So my mom lives in Florida still and has citrus trees uh, like a huge lemon tree and, and so she'll harvest citrus for me and dehydrate it for me and send it to me. So lemon and orange peels, really delicious in tea. I'm also a fan of just dehydrated fruit, um, which, you know, isn't, it's pretty cost prohibitive if you're not like buying that like at the farmer's market or something like freeze dried fruit can be pretty expensive or I'll buy things in season. So like peaches are in season right now. I have a tea blend I love called the Empress Tea, and that's sort of like my secret flavor bomb ingredient with all the, the florals and stuff is also that I use dehydrated peaches in that and it just makes it really lovely. And so I'll buy peaches when they're in season and run those through my dehydrator. Trying to purchase those as individual consumers for us is like really cost prohibitive. Apple chips are really yummy in tea, uh, dried pear. Um, you name it, I've tried it. <laughs> I was a uh, I was a personal chef in a, in a past life <laughs> pre this career, so I love uh, mixing fruits and citruses and stuff into my herbal teas as well. So with the citrus, you do want to make sure that you're using the outer layer, that white pith, uh, like someone noted in the in the chat log. It does make it bitter. So yes, you are just wanting the outer layer. Also make sure, um, if at all possible, that the citrus you're using has not been sprayed with any uh, chemicals or pesticides because that is staying there on the outer skin. So as you experiment, you know, don't make up a huge batch of tea right out of the gate. You want to use small amounts so that you can tweak things. And then once you have settled on something that really works for you, then go ahead and make up a larger container of it. Put it into a mason jar or a plastic bag, something that's, you know, airtight keep your herbs out of direct sunlight that really degrades the quality of the plant matter uh, very quickly. My general rule of thumb with plant material is I don't keep anything on hand that's more than a year old. So the idea is if you're growing your herbs, by the time you get back around to the next year when that plant is coming back into season again, you want to have already used up what you had from the previous year. Or if I do have anything left over for us here at the farm, it goes back into the compost pile. We, we will never, you know, use anything more than a year old for making our teas. But the good thing is we have holiday season in the dead of winter. So if winter comes around and you're and you know, well, spring is coming soon and I still have a ton of X, Y or Z in my herb cabinet perhaps make some tea blends up for your friends and family for the holidays. They make great gifts and it's really fun. I've done that for a lot of years, doing personalized teas to the, you know, the flavor preferences of various friends that I knew well enough to make those for. I will say when we're talking about formulating tea, I talk about uh, parts. So, you know, a recipe might be three parts catnip, two parts oat straw. Uh, and what that means is that you're using three equal measures and two equal measures. So most of my teas I'm using, this is a quarter cup scoop. And so a normal bag of tea for me will have 10 parts or 10 quarter cups. So that's about two and a half cups of plant matter, which translates if you're, you know, doing a tablespoon-ish of herb, that's about 30 to 35 cups per recipe. If you're going to go ahead and just 
play around and start, you know, brainstorming some some potential recipes for yourself. You can use something much smaller. You could use like a quarter teaspoon instead to make just like a cup or two of tea for yourself. And that way you're not, you know, you're. <laughs> it would be really terrible to go through all the trouble to grow a bunch of lovely herbs that are great individually. And then you make a humongous batch of something and then realize you don't actually like it. So start small. That way, if you come across something and it turns out not to be what you wanted, you've only made a cup or two of something you don't like, as opposed to like a whole mason jar of plant matter and tea. I also wanted to talk about different ways to brew my tea. So once I've made up my different blends, I've got my bags or I usually use mason jars to store my different tea blends. And like I said earlier, especially this time of year where it's so hot, I'm drinking most of my tea iced throughout the day. I try to drink about a quart of herbal tea per day. Some days are better than others. Some days it's more, some days it's less. But there are generally like three ways that I can recommend that you work with loose leaf tea. So you've probably are all familiar with just like a single tea strainer that will just like fit into your mug of tea. I really do like ones like this that come with a lid that actually fits onto the tea strainer because with our herbals, we want to keep our tea covered while it's brewing so that any volatile oils, those good constituents that we're keeping that into our tea and not letting them just evaporate off um, with the steam from the hot water. Also with herbal teas, if you've ever brewed like black tea or even green tea, you know, those have a pretty quick steep time, usually like five minutes max, and you're done with herbal teas. I always tell folks 15 minutes at the minimum is how long you want to steep to really, you know, the longer you let that plant matter steep, the more you're going to extract in terms of getting those really great constituents out of your herbs. And I actually, I steep mine overnight. And it's fine. You're not going to hurt anything. If you were working with some herbs that were maybe on the more bitter side, but none of the ones we've talked about tonight really are, then maybe you might have, you know, some bitterness from letting those sit overnight. But yeah, I, I will make up a quart size jar. So that's maybe four tablespoons of an herbal tea mix filled the quart jar with water, put a lid on it and let it sit on my counter overnight. And then th the next morning strain it out and drink it iced. I find for a lot of people problem with like getting tea regularly into themselves throughout the day, aside from just feeling busy is just being like, I don't have time to make tea and then strain it and deal with it before I can drink it. So the individual tea strainer is nice. Um, you know, you can have a setup at work or something. I'm also really fond of the French press. If you're going to do this with herbal tea, most people use this just for, you know, brewing coffee. But this is great because you can put your plant material, your herbs in there, brew it up, and then you just push the plunger down. When you're ready to drink it, it strains it for you. This is also really handy if you're making, you know, multiple cups. If you have people over and you're making tea for like three of you, then you have this done and ready to go. And then right now, my personal favorite way to drink herbal tea is, like I was saying, is just a quart-sized mason jar. And so I put about four tablespoons of my tea blend into this, fill it with water. And then this is what has changed my life. This is called a bombilla straw. This is what is traditionally used for drinking uh, yerba mate. So this is stainless, a stainless steel straw. And then the end of it is like a little spoon, but you can see there are holes in it. It's actually like a little strainer. And so this is why I particularly love to use now for tea. This has been life-changing for me because now I no longer have to strain my tea in the morning if I'm running out the door to work or to the field or whatever. I don't have to strain my herbs out of my quart-sized mason jar. I can just put my straw in this, drink throughout the day. And then there's also this handy little scoop thing on the end of it when I'm done. Once I'm done at the end of the day, I can just use this little scoop, scoop all the herbs right out into my, my bin to go back out to the compost pile and I'm good to go. So I can't take credit for this. Another herbalist uh, named Katya Swift talked about this <laughs> at one point and I was like, I need to order these. So yeah, this has been life-changing for me. And it's such a simple solution, but it's made it so much easier for me to get tea into myself on a regular basis to not have to strain it. 
someone said in the comments they sometimes steep herbal tea in like half that amount of water for 20 to 25 minutes. And then they'll top off the remaining half with boiling water so that it's hot again. And so that's a great idea as well if you're looking to drink your, your tea hot. Unless we're in like the depths of winter, which for Tennessee is maybe like two weeks here. <laughs> I really love to drink my tea uh, cold most of the time. But yeah, if you do like your tea hot, that's a great solution for you. Also, you know, we talk about the whole point of working with herbs and... And getting tea is to get it in you. So whatever you have to do, so no shame. If you need to microwave your herbal tea to warm it up so that you'll actually drink it, then go for it. Whatever works for you and your life that fits into your day, incorporating herbs into your life shouldn't be an additional stressor for you. This is, you know, these are supposed to be nice things for us to do for ourselves to hopefully lessen our stress and help us care for ourselves better. Kind of wrapping up here, I do want to just mention... I put the address in the chat of where you can get the handout for like the formulation that we talked about. There is also a spot on the website where you can sign up for our mailing list. Really grateful to the Portsmouth Library for having me do this class for y'all. And especially during COVID, hoping to keep doing free webinars and stuff like this. So if you want to know when we might do additional ones, that's a great place. Um, And I also, if you're interested in continuing to learn about herbs, Uh, We have an herbal community on Patreon. We do, this is called the Full Moon Fill-Up. This is a monthly zine that we put out that gets mailed to you, showing up in your mailbox. Who doesn't like to get some mail once a month? And there's info in there. There's an herbal profile every month. Uh, We share recipes, journal prompts, tarot spreads, all sorts of stuff. And then we also have the community aspect uh, on Patreon as well. So you can check that out through the website. But yeah, I just want to thank all of y'all. Oh, thank you, Loam. <laughs> uh, Loam subscribes to the zine. Yes, there is an option with the zine where you get a bag of tea. So the idea is you, we all drink the tea on the full moon together. And I also include the recipe in the zine. So if you want to make that tea in larger amounts for you, uh, you can do that. Yeah, Thank you all so much for tuning in. Please feel free to sign up for the mailing list to hear about future classes. You're always welcome to shoot me an email or a DM. I'm on Instagram, Fox and Elder. Send me questions. I'm always happy to talk about plants. All right. Good night, everyone. <laughs>